It's time for Taking Care of Business on Midlands 103. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. Midlands 103. Hello and a very good evening and indeed a happy new year to everybody. Ronan here, back and taking care of business. It's the 9th of January, time to kick off 2024. And as always, a bumper show lined up for you this evening. I'm going to look at the applications that are now open for the latest cycle of Back for Business. It's a free government programme that helps returned or returning immigrants start and develop businesses here at home. Founder Paula Fitzsimons has all the info you need ahead of the closing date for that application and many local companies have availed and it began because of Back for Business. Also, Jack Pilkington, the CEO and founder of AgriData Analytics, has spent much of December travelling over 52,000 kilometres to New Zealand and Australia on a self-funded trade mission and um, he's made some great contacts over there, great connections and indeed it's going to really superpower his business in the year ahead. So Jack will be along very shortly to talk us all about that. Hugely exciting things happening there with Jack again. Another example of a local person who's to make a real difference in business circles and clearly not just in his home county or his home country. I'll have some business news updates as well. Lots have been happening over the past week or two. Lots of business headlines really interesting stories that we need to kind of sink our teeth into as well and lots open for discussion but this evening we're going to begin just to Pay a bit of a tribute to Mr. Eddie O'Connor, who passed away earlier this week following a short illness. Many people will be familiar with the name Eddie O'Connor, not just locally, indeed, or globally, but certainly right across the world, because as somebody who was a pioneer of clean energy, of renewable energy, he was, of course, the chief executive of Board Namona for about a 20 year period and is largely credited with turning around that organisation and organisation and indeed setting it up for the organisation it has now become. He was the man behind companies like Airtricity, Mainstream, Mainstream Renewable Power and most recently Supernode and was an absolute advocate for clean energy, uh, say, not just in Ireland but right across the world. And his passing would have come as a huge shock to a lot of people. So to learn more about Eddie and to begin to try to put into context the legacy he leaves behind. I'm delighted to be joined by John Riley, Head of Renewable Energy at Board Namona. Very good evening, John. Uh, thanks, Ronan. Good evening to you and, and to your listeners. Delighted to be here. John, yeah, maybe I suppose to begin, can you tell us a little bit about Eddie the man? I know you didn't work with him directly at Board Namona. You started with them maybe not long after Eddie had finished his tenure as Chief Executive, but you had got to know him very well over the intervening years. Tell us about Eddie himself. What was he like as a person and, and to deal with? Yeah, and, and maybe just to start, Ronan, um, I'd like to offer on, on my own behalf and, and on behalf of, of Board Namona our ser- sincerest condolences to Hildegard and the O'Connor family and, of course, to Eddie's uh, wide circle of friends and colleagues and his untimely passing. Um, he, he was a giant of a man, Ronan, in, in, in so many, many ways. And I suppose most of most people will probably recognise the name Eddie O'Connor and associated with uh, advances in renewable energy and the whole climate change agenda. Um, but as you pointed out, he, he was a, a stalwart here as, as a chief executive for, a, for a, it was actually a 10 year period from 1990, or 1987 to 97. But I think it's important at this time that we, there's no doubt that Eddie will be most missed as a husband, father and grandfather. So we're very much keeping his, his family in our thoughts and prayers. From, from my own perspective, I, I would have first come into contact with Eddie um, in my role as, as the chair of the climate change working group or advisory group in IBEC. And um, Eddie would have been involved, I suppose, on the periphery of, of, of many um, trade associations and groups that were looking at, at the role that um, 
renewable energy could play in, in, in helping Ireland, uh, Ireland's energy security and maintaining security of energy supply for the state. And the one thing that always struck me about Eddie was he was a man of, of great conviction, great conviction. He was, he was never afraid to express his views and opinions, but he was also a really, really good listener. And one of, one of, the, one of the things that made him so successful when I look at his career here in Bordnemona and, and his career in the renewable energy sector since was he surrounded himself with really, really good people. He was, um, and he would admit that himself, he, he had a great eye for people with talent and people with energy. And if you go back to his Bordnemona days, uh, he, you know, he, he, he joined a company in 1987 that was, in his own words, in a dreadful state um, for reasons that, that we'll go into. But he surrounded himself initially with, with, with people like Paddy Hughes and Sean Grogan and Kevin Gavin and, of course, Pat Fitzgerald, who'd be, people who'd be well known to many, many of your listeners. And he would have always described those guys as knowing what needed to be done to help save Bordnemona. And, and that trait was something that, that, that went with him everywhere he went. I saw it in mainstream where I first came across him in his mainstream business. And, and even as recent uh, his involvement with Supernode, which he founded in 2018, he, he was never afraid to give young, ambitious people the opportunity to, to prove themselves. And I think that was one of his abiding traits as a person. Of course, if we go back to his time at Bordnemona, you're in a period there where other organisations like the Irish Sugar and the Sugar Factories and stuff, and even, you yeah. know, there was many examples of big, big companies, you know, semi-state companies that didn't make it through. And, and some of that is still very much maligned that, that they were allowed to fall apart. He was very determined that the same fate wasn't going to happen to Bordnemona. Absolutely, Ronan. He, he, he did describe in his own words that Bordnemona was in, was in a dreadful shape when he, when he took over as chief executive in 1987. And, and if, you, if you just look at the bare financial facts at the time, the company had a debt on its balance sheet of almost £200 million, or punts as it was in the day. And to put that into perspective, the company today uh, doesn't have anywhere like that amount of debt on its balance sheet, and it's a much more profitable company. Um, but that debt was a millstone around the neck of Bordnemona in the 1980s. And I'm old enough, unfortunately, Ronan, to remember the difficulties that there were in the economy in the 1980s. We can, we can look at today where inflation is rampant and um, interest rates are high, but nothing compared to what they were in the late 80s. I'm sure there are many of your listeners who will remember paying 15 and 20% interest rates on their mortgages. And for businesses at that time, you could be paying up to 30% interest on short-term loans. And that was a problem for Bordnemona. Bordnemona was only mildly profitable at the time and really was running into a problem, like many of the companies that you've outlined there, just simply servicing its debt, paying its interest rates on a, on a, on a, on a monthly or a quarterly basis. And it was heading for ruin. There's, there's no point in putting a, anything, any sort of a fine point on it. That's where it was heading. And I remember him telling me, when I when I met him 10 or 15 years later and was asking him a little bit about those times in Bordnemona, he was very, very clear and very determined that the sort of liquidity uh, and liquidation problems that you'd seen, the, the Irish sugar and the Irish shipping style liquidations that happened around that time, and even great companies like Waterford Glass went exactly the same way. This sense that the the government... In, in, in the shape of the taxpayer would be able to step in and save these companies. The government was struggling in the 80s to balance its books. It was never going to be able to step in and save companies like Bordnemona. And so therefore, 
there were a lot of really, really tough decisions to be taken, very, very difficult decisions, um, rationalization programs, massive job losses in the organization. I mean, when Eddie took over, there was probably about 5,000 people employed in the company. And as part of the rationalization program, 50% of those people had to go. And that was very, very difficult, but it was absolutely necessary. And one of the reasons why we in Board Namona have such regard for Eddie, he had the conviction and the courage and the bravery to do that. And it made sure that the company survived. And more importantly, I think from our own point of view, it prolonged the life of the peat industry in the Midlands for 30 years. And actually, yes, in the Midlands, but if we put that in the wider context that you're, you know, you're talking maybe 10, 12 years before the real start of the kind of boom in the Celtic Tiger era, that had Bordemona not survived, you know, could we actually have provided for the Celtic Tigers from an energy perspective too? Like, I mean, there was, there was a lot on the, at, at play here, in fairness. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and you know, the, if, you, if you could even begin to envisage the impact on the Midlands economy of Bordemona simply not being around in the, in the early 90s, it, it would have been catastrophic. And you're correct. I mean, that was sort of the era when the country, I suppose, began to, the, 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 the economy began to turn around and we had the growth of the Celtic Tiger era. And there is no doubt that that laid the groundwork for, from an energy policy perspective, for uh, the opportunities that presented themselves with what we might call or might describe as the climate challenge and, and the move globally to renewable, uh, to re- to renewable energies. And, 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 and that's one of the reasons, Ronan, why Eddie has been described by many, many people in the last few days as a visionary. He, he just seemed to have this ability to see things before they would happen. And, 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 and he certainly was one of the original pioneers of, the, he, he had this vision that Ireland could become energy, energy independent using clean and renewable energy before anybody else did. Um, and that journey was, was, was never an easy one, as we know. It hasn't been, it's been a, a tricky one for Ireland to understand the role, the role that renewables might play and how we might do it. But he was always, always, you know, aligned to his convictions that we could and should do this. Where do you think that vision first came? I mean, he certainly was a pioneer of that and to go looking at, again, in a, in a country that was entirely dependent on fossil fuels and it's only last week that the likes of Eden Dairy Powers officially stopped burning peat. How, correct, you know, yeah. did he, was that, you know, was that vision, did he, did he pick that up from someone else, somewhere else globally or was it just that he saw the potential that was there? Or indeed, I know at one point he quoted, I think in recent years, that he effectively went from being Ireland's largest polluter down to the <laughs> biggest pioneer of clean energy. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's something that's been discussed actually quite a bit. I've, I've spoken to quite a few colleagues of, of Eddie's obviously over the last few days. And um, I, I think first and foremost, Ronan, Eddie was a brilliant businessman. And, and he understood that to be in business, to be, to be successful in business, no matter whether you're running a small business or a large business, you have to make money, you have to make profit, and you have to reinvest that. And I think one of the, one of the outstanding features that he had, had as a man is he was never afraid to look abroad. And even, even in terms of the way he turned Bordenamona around uh, in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the late 80s and the early 90s, he looked to Finland, which was then probably the global leader in terms of peak production and efficiencies. And he looked at the Finnish model and he, he looked to see how that model could be adapted in Ireland. And I, 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 there, there are great stories of, of, of many of his colleagues and, and, and supervisors and leaders from across the country getting wonderful trips to Finland of course, to find out exactly how the Finns did things and to replicate that model. And I think that's something, 
Ronan, that, that he brought with him as he moved into the renewable space. He was never afraid to look beyond the boundaries of, of, of this country and of Europe uh, to see how they did these things in, in other places. And he was always hungry for knowledge, always hungry for knowledge. And I think that that's one of the things that stood him in great stead from a business perspective. And he was, you know, credited with being of building Ireland's first commercial wind farm in his time at Bordemona too. He went on to found Airtricity in 1996 and build our first offshore wind farm in 2004. So he wasn't just a visionary, as you say, and you've said he was a doer. He was able to see these and actually bring them to fruition. And that in itself can be a challenge. Yeah, and, and one, of the, one of the really interesting things is, again, a discussion. We, we had the great honour here in Bordemona last year. Uh, we, we sponsored the Green Awards in Ireland, which looked at a whole range of, of initiatives across the green economy. And on the night, the, the, the recipient of the, the Person of the Year Award was, was Eddie O'Connor. And I had a very brief chat to him afterwards. And he was saying to me that he said, you know, one of the one of the, the fallacies in, in his career is that, that he started the renewable energy transition in Bordemona. He, he was very clear that he didn't. Uh, and going back to the point that you made earlier, he was very clear that in actual fact, what he did was he saved the peat industry. And maybe as a result of that, uh, Bordemona was positioned as, as one of the largest polluters. And that's a horrible word, but we were in the context of how you define polluters in the late 90s. But he, he, was, he, he was very clear that the... He, the, the first commercial wind farm in the country was developed by Bordemona and ESB and, and a, a Danish company called Dong Energy. And again, you know, he was always very keen, going back to that point that I made, to look abroad, see what they were doing in Denmark. You know, if wind was working well in Denmark, why couldn't it work on a rock on the edge of the Atlantic? Um, but he didn't actually attend the opening of the, the Bellacoric Wind Farm in Mayo because he said to me at the time, I had much more important things to tend to, young man. Uh, I was <laughs> trying to sort out the debt problem and in Bordemona and, and, and clearly the company needed an equity injection at the time. And he spent much of his 10 years here, Ronan, focused on that. What he did do, however, though, was four years into the operation of the wind farm in Mayo, he commissioned an independent report along, along with his management team to look at the, the things that needed to be done to perhaps allow wind energy to become commercial in the Irish context. And I, I wouldn't say he took that report with him when he left Bordemona, but I'm pretty sure he took the recommendations with him and he uh, he used them to establish the businesses that he did going forward. And again, it's going back to that point of him being a doer. He said, A, B, C, X and Y needs to be done. And he was always able to set about getting these things done. And there is no doubt the renewable energy, and indus- renewable energy industry in Ireland would not be where it is today without the pioneering exploits of Eddie O'Connor. And as I said, those experts are recognised uh, globally and even like up to recently, he was, his latest project was the promotion of a pan-European supergrid for renewable energy. So that passion, that vision remained right up until his, until his last days. Yeah, yeah, and the first time I heard him talk about that supergrid, uh, Ronan, was in 2010 at a conference in Dublin. And again, he had this vision of Europe working as a single system with solar coming from the south, wind from the windy northwest and, 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 and hydro from the, 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 uh, the, the Nordic regions, all working together for the betterment of Europe and its citizens. And I think in time, that, that, that particular vision is coming to fruition over time. And Eddie O'Connor will in time be recognised as one of those pioneering, pioneering people as an Irishman uh, and a proud Roscommon man and a proud man from the Midlands who wanted to see Ireland benefit from this energy revolution.
Absolutely, yeah. I think his name is enshrined in, in, in Irish engineering and, and in just in history for, forever. And I think the further out, the further on we go, the more the more that will be. But John, thank you so much for coming on and speaking about Eddie O'Connor this evening. And, and I know it's a hard task to try and you know, uh, condense his legacy into about 10 or 12 minutes. You've done a fantastic job on that. And uh, I think I'll echo your sentiments there and do and express, you know, the condolence around here at Midlands 103 to Eddie's family and indeed to his wider colleagues and friends and, and many people, not just in Ireland, but right across the world. And uh, he'll be laid to rest on on Thursday and uh, may, may he rest in peace. John Riley, Head of Renewables Energy Board Namona, thank you so much. Thank you, Ron. Thanks. Yeah, very fitting, I think, to pay tribute to, as, as John says there, a Midlands man, an absolute titan, a pioneer. You know, those words can be thrown around and bandied about a little bit. In this instance, they absolutely apply. Time now for a, a short break. After that, I'm going to meet the young entrepreneur who's uh, really at the start of his journey in terms of his business, but it's an exciting one. And it's all actually got to do with uh, decarbonisation and reducing carbon footprints. So stay tuned. We'll be with you back in a couple of minutes. Taking care of business. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. Still to come on Taking Care of Business, you can find out about the Back for Business. It's a programme funded by the, Depart- by the Department of Foreign Affairs and it's aimed at returned or returning immigrants who wish to start or develop a business back here at home. Paula Fitzsimons will be along later to give you all the information you need ahead of a closing date that is coming quite soon. It's a fantastic programme, lots of great businesses around the country. Many, many of them in the Midlands have utilised that programme and really gone on to great successes. So looking forward to hearing more about that from Paula very soon. Before that though, I'm going to um, I suppose reintroduce it to a young, awfully based entrepreneur who was only a couple of months back and it's been a, 2023 was a roller coaster year for him in terms of huge achievements with his business Agri Data Analytics Ireland. Jack Pilkington is the founder of Clonerl Engineering and has been developing the agri-data analytics business over the past couple of years. It's an ag tech company focused on developing devices for reducing methane emissions on farm. It strives to tackle the climate crisis through innovation in the agri-sector, focused on reducing um, enteric methane emissions in line with Ireland's COP26 pledge of a 30% reduction in methane by 2030. Now, we're into 2024. That's not too far away. But Jack is here with me now. He's been on... We use the word journey sometimes too often and without real meaning. He's been on an absolute journey in December last year and we'll fill us in on that in a couple of minutes. But Jack, you're very welcome back to Taking Care of Business. Have I done you justice for 2023? It was a big year for AgriData Analytics. Thanks very much, Ron, and good evening to you and all your listeners. Um, yeah, look, it's after been a very, very busy year, I suppose. We were uh, after a lot of travelling um, right across uh, 13 major cities, I suppose, between November and December and uh, we've met with some very influential people, I suppose you could call them along the way and stuff. So, uh, it's exciting times ahead for us, um, and yeah, it was a it was a busy end of the year, and it's going to be a busy, it's going to be a very very busy year ahead, I think, by the looks of things. So um, yeah, so um, obviously you're getting you're you're beginning to get great traction for your product. Give us a quick synopsis again, just a reminder for listeners exactly what your what your company does and and the products you're developing. Yeah, so look, just a quick run back, I suppose. Uh, I set up a steel fabrication company back in 2020 and it was kind of from working with ag research bodies then we seen that there was a lack of adequate methane monitor equipment available on the market um, and at a huge high cost industry. So I suppose we went through the whole Enterprise Ireland New Frontiers programme, phase two and phase three and that's where we established AgriData and Analytics Ireland just a year ago now. Um, officially so I suppose in the last year then we won five major awards uh, two major awards there only um, a month back now when I was actually on my travels and uh, just around Christmas time as well we were delighted to be announced uh, in the top 100 most ambitious companies in Ireland so um, yeah look it's just a 
I suppose it's a credit to to, to, to to be named in that sense and I suppose it's all thanks to the team we have, you know. Um, so the device itself, I suppose, is basically a non-invasive feeder which um, draws an animal's breath and analyses that predominantly then for enteric methane and CO2 output. So that's kind of given ag researchers that important data that's needed for two main reasons, to help find that genetically optimal animal, I suppose, and to be able to test added supplementation to their diet then as well to help reduce methane levels. How have engagements been with, say, farmers? I know you have a direct connection yourself, but how have farmers been? Because in, in fairness, so much is made about the climate crisis, about the blame that's put on the agricultural sector. I think even today, the IFA were out saying, like, you know, it's, it's, an, it's completely overburdened in terms of the blame that's apportioned there, given the importance of the sector. So how has engagement been? I know you, were, did you, you um, exhibited or you were, you were on, at the Plowing Championships as well in the innovation arena. Absolutely, yeah, that's right. So look, I suppose what we're actually doing is we're um, creating this device that's going to measure the actual methane levels coming from um, an animal. And I suppose that's for ag research bodies use. So it's that it's that tool, I suppose. And what we're doing is we're making a cheaper alternative for industry. Um, so the, at the minute, there's competitors' machines out there that's at a huge high cost. And I suppose there's, uh, there's different problems with it and stuff as well. So we're trying to f- make that um, optimal machine there. And I suppose we're not here to demonise farmers... Uh, I'm a suckler farmer myself and I suppose it's about giving that real data with more of a cost effective uh, so yeah more of a cost effective solution kind of for industry leaders Um, and I suppose regardless of the conflict I suppose as an industry we're going to have to prove real figures and I think that's important because there was predicted figures put on methane output from animals um, previously so it's about finding that real figures I suppose and using that strategy like a rising tide lifts all boats and you know it's our job to raise the tide in the agri-tech industry so Absolutely I mean any, any business is being compelled to really examine every aspect of that business, how they can decarbonize, and that's exactly what you're trying to pioneer here with the with the with with the farm in the farming communities. Like the acknowledgement of being listed as one of the hundred most ambitious companies. I mean, a huge achievement in, in just year one of that. So, what was it made you jump on a plane and head for New Zealand? Yeah, so I suppose it's um, it's a good distance away, but um, there's, there's there's huge benefits and huge. Um, I suppose Ireland works very closely with New Zealand, number one, um, and Australia and some different projects as well. But I think it's the fact that New Zealand is a very similar climate to Ireland. So just zooming back, then I suppose the Ploughing Championships this year, we we had an exhibit there in the Innovation Arena. We're lucky to come away with a major award from there as well. But I so that's where there there was a New Zealand delegation came across, and I suppose from meeting with them and. Um, explaining to them what what we were trying to achieve and what we were doing and um, there seemed to be huge interest in it so and I suppose the fact that our product itself was at a very malleable stage I think it was the right time um, to pop on the plane to fly over there and to show them what we have in terms of a prototype at the moment what they'd like to see in further developments and how we can include them I suppose in the whole project going forward so I suppose that's leading us on then to an exciting I suppose summertime this year in Ireland um, so we plan to go back out for for Hamilton in June and to start some testing out there, I suppose. And that's 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 the whole New Zealand side of things. And I suppose then we're also leading on to um, working closely with the University of Queensland out in Brisbane in Australia as well um, on furthermore developing, a, I suppose, a device out there, testing the device that will measure enteric methane from younger livestock, which is something that hasn't been done already. So I suppose we've seen that there was huge differences out there as well in terms of uh, their herd size, their 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 dairy herd size being being an average four forty in Ireland here's one or three like so you've you've got all these large scale farms and it's about um, trying to capture this data from them and trying to have a device I suppose that will work in in co with them and I suppose what we've seen in New Zealand was there was lots of individual places that's doing 
similar research. Um, but um, so yes, yeah, so there's 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 huge potential out there and huge interest, and we're looking forward to we're looking forward to a very busy year ahead. I suppose with engaging with um, with New Zealand and Australia on that. Yeah. And is there the same focus on reduce, reducing emissions in New Zealand or Australia? Like, are they equally as committed to Ireland? Have they got as ambitious targets or is it largely ignored? Absolutely, yeah. So I suppose New Zealand is um, the exact same really as Ireland uh, and there's a lot of testing going on. There's a big push on. So between New Zealand and Ireland, at the minute they have the most data collected to date uh, in terms of enteric methane output from animals. And I suppose um, why we're trying to work closely with them is that we can use this as the launch pad then for European countries or countries around the world. So it's a little bit of a a little bit of a different twist then, I suppose, on the Australian side of things. It's actually the farmers that have interest in... Um, in actually measuring the methane and CO2 output so that they can tell that narrative, that story piece, I suppose, to the consumer and um, that they're producing um, beef or milk that um, that is, is after producing less greenhouse gas, I suppose, in the animal's lifetime. Yeah, so it's it's quite an interesting difference there, I suppose, that it's actually farmers in um, Australia, potentially, that will be interested in the device. But there are a lot larger scale of farms than what we'd have here in Ireland, of course. Yeah, a lot more rocks too and less grass maybe in some areas. But Absolutely. I suppose New Zealand is probably the, the, the most similar there too. So, I mean, it, it sounds like a, a really intriguing trip as well. What were the main gains from it then in terms of making connections? Like, have you new business opportunities there too or are there mainly research-based opportunities? Yeah, so I think when we when were en route out first, um, I had probably about five different individuals to meet, but quite important people, I suppose, in that area. And um, there was two different events as well. We'd organised through Agritech NZ out there as well and Callan Innovations. So, and they're actually two Irish guys as well that's over them so that was quite interesting and it was good to get that them, them extra leads from there and I suppose when we finished up then in New Zealand so we travelled right from the, from, the, from the top of New Zealand right down to the bottom of South Island um, and we had over 15 individual meetings in the in, in the 11 days we were out there and also attended four different events as well so it was it, it, it was very good on that front um, and I suppose we met with uh, very, very good people that are very interested in actually purchasing the machine and uh, I suppose working in co with us in terms of testing it out there in the Southern Hemisphere as well so that we're able to we're able to create more sales. So that's kind of what we plan to do next June is um, go for the field days in Hamilton and then um, we're, we're, we're also going to start some testing out there um, on, on, on a research farm, yeah. yeah. I think, I'm sure it'll be very valuable to be able to conduct your own research uh, in Ireland but also have maybe sister research then in, in New Zealand or Australia and be able to look at, at that global thing too because not just have it as a, an Ireland approach to climate action but, but show also that other countries are equally as committed to it. So how does that lend itself then to, I suppose, the further growth of agri-data analytics too? You're currently, are you at fundraising at this point? Yeah, that's right. So I suppose at the at the minute we still like we started off, I suppose a little over a year ago when we when we joined the New Frontiers and there was a stipend grant with that the whole way through. So there was a few pound coming from that in I suppose in that sense. But then furthermore, I suppose in terms of raising funds, now we're looking into PSSF fund and through Enterprise Ireland and things like that. But be lucky enough to date, I suppose, to be able to fund it myself so far, and it's been quite expensive. But I suppose um, it's it's going to take time to get things back and get things up and running properly. But um, I suppose we can see where the future lies for it and we can see maybe the potential sales that's there. And, um, you know, it's it's an exciting area, I suppose, as well. And it's ticking lots of boxes in terms of sustainability and the way, I suppose, the way things are steering, you know. So it's, um, yes, look, there's a lot of work still to be done and there's a lot of, there's a lot more of further development, a lot more of testing and stuff to be done. So it's um, it's about trying to, um, trying to deal with all that as well, yeah. 
And it's uh, highly exciting too. What is, what's on the immediate plan? I know you're talking about re- return visits maybe in June next year as well. Um, what's, in, what's in your sort of sharp focus for the next six months with AgriData? That's right. So we're working closely with um, MTU in the Tralee campus in um, down in Kerry. And um, so we're, we're currently developing the whole hardware system down there, I suppose, and getting the circuit boards printed out and getting sensors and things plugged in that's going to, I suppose, get all that side of things working. And we're also, we have a team in, of lads in India, between India and Ireland, working on the whole software background as well. Um, and then the kind of furthermore development so that's going to lead on to our second iteration of a prototype then for February and I suppose furthermore then as well we've got Professor Annette Pilkington out um, she's she's uh, out in the University of Notre Dame uh, Professor of Mathematics so she's looking at the whole algorithm side of things and I suppose getting that bit developed that we can um, that we can plug into our machine then as well and we can just get we can have a device that we will be able to walk away from if you like that will actually work on its own so at the minute we've got a very basic prototype but I suppose it's proven the concept it's proven it's working and it's gaining traction which is most important And I can only assume that the farming community in general will be ready for this because like, data has been driving farming decisions for probably an awful lot longer than people might remember like I can like 30 years back farmers were using basic forms of Excel to track various you know statistics for the farm so this whole pursuit of you know farming going digital monitoring car- or methane emissions it would be very natural for people like that that, that is the, the breed of farmer that now exists you know and such is there there is a commitment to climate change yeah, I suppose that's a thing that we probably see more so in uh, out in Australia at the minute that the farmers are cooperating with that so that they can tell that narrow narrative piece to the consumer. In Ireland at the minute, I think there is a, there's probably more of a negative approach to it in in some cases. Um, but it's the fact that I suppose it's not going to go away, and I think um, I suppose emissions have to be shown that they're they're reducing, or to show I suppose the real figures of what animals are actually producing. And I suppose it's seen it's 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 a little bit out of what exactly we're doing. We're making that device, I suppose that's for ag research bodies to use but I suppose what we're seeing is that um, methane can be reduced I suppose by breeding genetically optimal animals and I suppose added supplementation to the diet and things like that then as well is also a help so look I suppose that's their side of things I think what we're coming in on is that we've seen a gap in the market we've seen an opportunity that uh, there's potential to manufacture a device here in Ireland um, and use that as launchpad for European countries then that that tool um, that will actually measure enteric methane and CO2 from the animal yeah and no better way of doing that than having data and actual numbers from from the field, quite literally. And I think that's exactly what people need is that actual numbers around the difference that can be made. As you even mentioned, like of a change in animal nutrition to reduce those emissions, being able to monitor that and actually record it and then make changes based on that. It's the fundamentals of even any business. And certainly what John Riley mentioned in relation to Eddie O'Connor is just, you know, looking at the numbers and being able to, to move forward and make your decisions based on that. Um, fascinating stuff, Jack. Looking forward to hearing even more from you later in the year. But uh, thank you. Thanks again for coming in. And sure, maybe the next time you're going across to Australia and New Zealand, you might bring me along to do an old feature or something, a podcast maybe. Would that be all right? I will do it. No problem. <laughs> no matter, we'll hold you that one as well. That's Jack Pilkington there of Clinical Engineering and also have agreed to add analytics based in Dangan but uh, certainly with a global focus there too time for a short break now if you are somebody because on Saturday actually I was covering Saturday View and we text in from a listener in New York so if you are listening somewhere around the world and you really have a kind of a grow to come back home and set up a business or develop a business idea you need to find out about the Back for Business programme and how do you do that? Well have a listen in about three or four minutes I'll be back after the break and I'll tell you exactly how you can apply for that 
taking care of business. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmead. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. Continuing that global theme that is kind of percolated onto tonight's show, I suppose, uh, first speaking about Eddie O'Connor and the huge impact he's had on the renewable energy sector, not just locally, but globally. Jack Pilkington there before the break, talking about his recent ventures across in New Zealand and Australia. And again, local company with a global focus. And now we're going to look at and hopefully reach out to people or somebody you know who might be considering coming back home to Ireland or maybe has just returned and has a great idea for a business or maybe a business concept that they saw somewhere else and would like to start up here in Ireland. And there is a programme available for them. It's called Back for Business. And to find out more about it, I'm delighted to be joined by founder of that programme, Paula Fitzsimons from Fitzsimons Consulting. Now, Paula is also the brainchild behind programmes like Acorns, Going for Growth and many, many others. And the sheer numbers of entrepreneurs that have been created and spun out of those um, programmes is nothing short of staggering. So Paul is here to talk to us all about Back for Business because there is a closing date looming and tell you exactly how you can get involved. A very good evening, Paula. Welcome back to the show. Well, thank you very much. And thank you for the lovely words. I appreciate it very much. Well, I condensed it down into just a couple because I could speak about you for, for ages, given, given the amount of work you've done. I suppose give people a reminder. You were on a couple of years ago speaking about this programme. There's been lots of Midlands companies have availed of this too. But Back for Business, it's backed by the Department of Foreign Affairs too. So really, it's yeah, been a, it's, hmm. it's backed by the Department of Foreign Affairs. And believe it or not, we're doing it for seven years. This is our seventh cycle of Back for Business. And the idea at the beginning was... Okay, so we have people returning to Ireland who have emigrated, who've been abroad for more than a year. And lots of Irish people travel, some by choice, some by necessity. But often the draw home is there and the draw home is often through family. And when you've been away and you're coming back, you might be thinking to yourself, well, what do I do now? Do I get a job um, and, you know, build on my experience that I've got overseas? Or, you know, because I'm starting afresh, Will I do something for myself? And what we found from the research is that more of those who travel and return tend to be entrepreneurial than those who never travel. And it's exactly picking up the point that you said at the beginning, which is that people see ideas. They see the way things are done differently in Australia, New Zealand, Spain, the States, Canada, wherever it may be. And they bring those ideas back with them. And the draw home is often through family, however. But what you find is that, you know, setting up a business at any time, you and I both know that run, that it's not easy. And we're glad that the local enterprise offices are there to help people and steer them. And they really do a very good job around that. But what we've realised is that people returning home who've been away, we find that people on average are away nearly 11 years. So they tend to be away for quite a lot of time. And what happens then is that their personal and professional networks have gone soft. So everybody has moved on in their life and starting up a business isn't easy. And it isn't easy if you're here and well embedded, but if you've just returned to Ireland full of ideas and find yourself almost in a new country, then you need the type of support that we can give you which helps you to find your tribe. Others who have returned like you and are trying to start a business. That's what it's about. Can I ask, what sparked your original idea? How did you identify that there was an opportunity there for people returning back to the country and then to go and turn it into this this programme? Yeah, it's a very interesting one. In fact, to be perfectly honest, it was the Department of Foreign Affairs who said, 
you know, we want to help the diaspora um, and we do much support for them overseas. What about when they come home? How can we help them? And certainly the Assistance Advice Bureau give a lot of advice about returning to Ireland. But they felt, hmm, can we do something around entrepreneurship? And of course, if anyone's doing something around entrepreneurship, my hand is up. And I began to think through what was required because at that time I had four children. Well, I still have four children, but three of them were overseas at that time. And I began to think if they were returning to Ireland and they were setting up a business, what would they need? Because you'll find things like setting up bank accounts, you know, which you need for business is quite, you know, you wondered how to go about it. Now, what you want to do is tap in to the resources and the knowledge of people who've done it before you. So we use the round table, which we use in all our initiatives. So we get a group of six or eight returned emigrants, all with different types of businesses, get them round table with a lead entrepreneur. That is a successful business person who has started and grown a business. And the majority of our lead entrepreneurs were themselves immigrants and have returned to Ireland. I'll give you an example. I was going to say there are some big names on that list as well, including one man who uh, lives locally here to the station, actually Seamus Riley, the co-founder of of Critical Healthcare, a phenomenal business person. Yeah, exactly so. I was just going to mention Seamus because he's, as it were, from your parish, because Seamus has got involved from the very beginning in this and absolutely is committed to it. And he will take a group around the table, all of different people, and will meet them between February and June uh, once a month and um, he could he do a review session with them the following autumn to try to help them to take their idea or their fledgling business and to give it a good foundation so that it can get wings and move forward. Absolutely. And again, as I say, no, nobody better positioned to. Some other big names like Hannah Rickson and Paul Coyle come into the mix there too. Paul Duggan of the Gardner Group and uh, Thomas Ennis, founder of the Thomas Ennis Group. So again, I mean, and you've uh, you've a great track record in that and bringing great business people to, to mentor groups as well. I suppose some of the important points, it is open. So who's eligible for it? Are there any kind of specific criteria? And indeed, how can people go about um, entering be- or uh, applying for this? Because the closing date is coming, I think, Monday next week, the 15th. Yeah, it's next Monday. It is indeed. Just before you lead leave the lead entrepreneurs, which we were talking about there, can I just emphasise the point that they're all volunteers. They are all doing it for nothing. Out of their busy time, they're giving back. Okay, so we'll just leave that. Now, in terms of those we're looking for, we're looking for people, ideally, who've returned to Ireland in the last three years. And they were abroad for at least a year. Okay? It doesn't matter what type of business they're thinking of setting up. But it needs to be an early stage. In other words, it couldn't have sales for more than three years, okay? So no sales before 2021. But they don't have to be a client of any agency and all sectors will be considered. It's very easy to apply. If they go on the website, backforbusiness.com, they can register their interest. After they've read about it, they can register their interest. We'll get an application form to them immediately tomorrow morning let's say and that means they there's no interview there's no pitch involved and that asks them a few simple questions where are you now are you at the idea stage or have you begun to trade just tell us a little bit where you are tell us about what your challenges are how can we help you 
what for you would constitute success at the end of six months? Tell us 500 words about the business and your hope and vision for its future. And tell us a little about yourself. That's it. That's our application form, right? So it's not asking you to have a business plan and to have a whole lot of work done beforehand. We're saying, come with your ideas, your early stage businesses. They'll be considered by the lead entrepreneurs who will select among the applications and pick six or eight to invite to their roundtable. No cost to anyone uh, who selected because it's supported by the Department of Foreign Affairs. And ultimately, it, it, it's a lovely stepping stone then into all the various other supports offered through the Leos, through Enterprise Ireland too, and, and allows you to at least have fleshed out that idea and get that feedback from people who've been there and done that, that actually there is, you know, there is something in your concept or there is something that's worth working on. So it really is kind of fast tracking and I suppose allowing those ideas come out of the head and, and get onto paper, so to speak. Yeah. And do you remember we said that they're, they're professional and, and business and personal networks have gone soft? I mean, one of the things we do in recognising that is that um, fairly early on in the cycle, we run a support day in which we invite a representative of the Leo, of Enterprise Ireland, of Microfinance Ireland and uh, of the um, Credit Review Office. And they talk in detail about the supports that they have available because you know, if you think about it, if somebody had left Ireland, you know, 20 years ago, the whole ecosystem, even 10 years ago, the ecosystem was quite different. So they would be there in person with the participants to explain what supports they have to help them. And what we find is that, let's take last year, for example, a quarter of those starting the programme were clients of the development agencies, most of them Leos, and 65% were by the end of the programme, right? So they do get that knowledge and know where to look. And I think that's very important. In the afternoon of that support day to really use the time well, we do mini workshops, for example, on tax, so people understand revenue and VAT and everything else. KPMG runs that for us for nothing. And also on the legal foundations, the IP and shareholders agreements and Beecham's solicitors run that for us again all for nothing. But this information is available to tap into and from people who are more than willing to help. Now, nobody is going to tell you how to run your business, right? Mm. So it's not about a dragon's den and chopping you down at the knees. It's much more about collaboration, nurturing, confidentiality, and then supporting each other to dream bigger. Absolutely. And it really is. It's it's cutting. It's right on point advice you're getting. I mean, but the, the lead entrepreneurs you've named there and those organizations who contribute as well. I mean, that is bringing you and giving you a real picture straight away of, of you know, what lies ahead if you are to develop that concept. And, and I can see why so many people convert into Leo clients after that. Paula, fantastic. Again, a credit to you. Another fantastic initiative into its seventh year now. Backforbusiness.com is that website. But for now, Paula Fitzsimons, thank you so much for that. A pleasure. Thank you. So if you know that person who maybe is looking at coming home or it has just recently returned and has a great business idea or a concept and they really want to flesh that out with that group of people, 
backforbusiness.com. What are you waiting for? The application process is very simple. Paul has just said it there. Time for a quick break. After that, we'll have a roundup of some of the big business news items from over the past couple of days. Taking care of business. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. Decarbonising and energy reductions and all has been a, another feature that has kind of ran through tonight's show. Actually, earlier today, the Midlands 103 Green Home and Energy Show was officially launched. It's going to take place on Sunday the 8th. 18th of February from 11 to 4pm at the Tullamore Court Hotel. Tickets are free and you can go to midlands103.com, click on the big banner there and register to secure your ticket for the day. Hugely successful event last year, a huge interest in it because there's not too many of us out there who aren't considering trying to give in our home an energy upgrade and at least see what the latest technologies are in terms of housing and cars and everything else in, in terms of that kind of green energy transition. That's where we started the show this evening. When it comes to recycling and looking at how we can reduce carbon footprints, that this whole thing around the reverse vending scheme, it really hit the air last week when, you know, we know it's coming from the 1st of February, but lots of businesses are concerned about the, you know, but what it's going to cost in terms of actually having these machines in as well. And uh, we've had some response and some update on that from the likes of the Green Party, but one local business owner described it as yet another nail in the coffin for small Irish retailers. Alex Cleland of Cleland Supermarket in Abilene says the initiative being introduced next month is a farce and is poorly thought out. The scheme will see 15 cent added to aluminium cans and plastic bottles, 25 cent to those over 500 mils, with consumers able to return them via machines and get their money back. But Mr Cleland says local authorities should have installed the machines near to bottle banks. It's okay for the, for the larger multiples that are cash rich they can afford to buy the machines without having to worry about interest and loans and so on. Whereas a smaller retailer like ourselves, we'd have to borrow the money, pay interest on that, and there's no, we won't see a return on that investment for a minimum of 10 years. Taking care of business. Returns next Tuesday at 7pm with the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business.